0: Hey, you're just in time for the dog podcast from Mike Deef and Kiss Dog Training. Right there on his website, it says Training Owners, Not Dogs. So, Mike has a couple of examples where he chose to use some creative thinking with owners to help them teach their dogs to behave the way the owners wanted. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome back, it's Mike with Kiss Dog Training and it's been a while since I dropped a podcast so I'm actually going to try to do two today, so hopefully the next couple of months I'll be on time. But um, today, I think what we're going to talk about is maybe how some people look at dog training. I'm going to use two of my recent clients kind of as an example, maybe just talk philosophy of dog training and what I think, okay? First of all, I'm not going to throw rocks at glass houses, but... I'm also going to say that um, I do it my way. Um, I usually will tell my clients that you don't go to a Chevy dealership and demand to buy a Ford. Um, I think it's up to us as dog trainers to have all of our prices on our website. I think we ought to have a good fine print and frequently asked question section of the website. And I think there should be a lot of information on the website about what we think about um, dog training philosophies and how we do things. With that being said, um, I think there's two basic camps in dog training. There's the people who will wait for a dog to make a mistake and try to correct it um, and fix it. And you have the other half of the people who will try to teach the dog what to do up front and reward the snot out of it. So it's kind of a, it goes back to, I think, that old proactive, reactive kind of thing. If you're reactive, you're waiting for the dog to make a mistake and correcting it. And if you're proactive, you're teaching what you want up front. Along with that... One of my favorite things to talk to clients about is the word no. We use that word all the time. And I always ask, what is the instructional value to the word no? And really and truly, there is no instructional value. All no means is quit behavior, quit behaving, stop doing everything. It doesn't tell the dog what we want. So I always use the example of a dog jumping up. We'll say no or off or down, or whatever word pops into our brain, I have to ask the client, did you actually take any time to teach what that command you just said means? So if a dog jumps up and I say no, the dog doesn't know what to do, it just knows it's in trouble, so I'll stop. If, on the other hand, the dog jumps up and I say sit, I've now redirected the bad behavior to a good behavior that I can reward, and the more I reward behavior, the more that behavior is going to be offered and then we get this fancy little thing called extinguishment happening where the jumping up has no value, so I quit doing it. So that's kind of the little beginning seed to wanting to cover a couple of my past clients. Um, so let's take um, the Go, I call him the Go Fetch client. Uh, this is a client who is um, in a wheelchair. Uh, It's a mechanical wheelchair. He has some mobility with his hand for the joystick, but beyond that, um, he is in the wheelchair or in um, a walker. Okay. Um, he's always had labs. He was a hunter. Um, he got a dog that was bred out of working lines. So this is a real high drive, young, crazy. And I say young dogs, three years old. So, um, We would hope that we would be calming down a little bit, but nope, we still got the energy of what I would consider a typical 18-month-old dog, and we had to have a real serious conversation with the client of, well, what exactly are you going to expect from this dog, and how are you going to physically manage to do this training? And the big thing I wanted him to understand is once I leave, you really don't have a way to physically manhandle this dog. And I... I don't believe in physically manhandling dogs anyway. I said so. Let's start with the first easiest thing we know is this is a field trial lab with way too much energy, and is way too up here. Okay, you know has no zero has zero impulse control, zero frustration tolerance. um, Is a total toy beast. I mean, just wants his toys twenty four seven, never stops. Um. The wife did not want the dog throwing the tennis balls up against the house or up against the windows in the backyard. Um, So one of the solutions we came up with and kind of the, I guess, goal of this podcast is to think outside the box. So the first thing we did was we went out and got a tether tug, which is just a device that is put down in the ground by about three feet. You put a piece of fiberglass on it, uh, inserted it in, and you've got a tug toy at the end. And this gave the dog the ability to play tug by himself with the owner then redirecting the dog and saying, hey, well, come here, sit, okay, go get it. you know. And we could work on impulse control and the owner could be involved in the training. We saw a little bit of improvement there. The next thing we did was we added um, an iFetch machine. Uh, there's a couple of different brands. If you just Google, automatic fetch machine for dogs. There are several different brands, but this dog is one of those retrievers that if they could, they would play fetch 18 hours a day and never get tired of it. Okay. But the problem was the dog really didn't want to drop the ball for the client. The client was already in a wheelchair. The dog would then drop it by the client's feet where he would have to try to bend over. And I was worried he might fall out of the wheelchair or the dog was dropping it in his lap and was so intense about the way he was dropping it in his lap. I was worried that the owner might get nipped as he was grabbing the ball. So when we got this I fetch machine, it was the owner had a small, let's say two gallon bucket sitting between his feet on the wheelchair and the dog, we taught to drop the bucket, drop the ball in the bucket. He would pick it up, he'd put it in the uh, I fetch machine. And make the dog sit, and then we would push the button and it would throw. And the owner and the dog loved it because they were able to go outside and spend time together. He could go outside with a tether tug, he could do it. And then the third thing we did with this dog was really quickly get them into a good quality doggy daycare where the dog could go out with dogs that were same size, same age, same play style. And that dog could just run his silly butt off for about eight hours a day, um, three days a week. So we picked Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Knowing that Monday, the dog would be at daycare, give everybody a little bit of a break. Tuesday, the dog would come home and be tired enough to where the training was easier to do. Wednesday, we would take the dog back to daycare. Thursday was a good day. Friday, the dog went back to daycare. Saturday was a good day. Sunday, the dog was a pain in the butt, but we were going back on Monday. And then you take that along with the tether tug and the fetch machine. And it took us about eh, three weeks to start seeing real improvement now mom got involved as she saw the improvement we got mom trained on loose leash walking where she could walk the dog and the dog wasn't dragging her everywhere but it was the the idea with this client was before we can teach skills we have to teach paying attention redirection and bleed off the energy on a hydraulic system that was already over pressurized okay And a lot of people may have started straight into skills without the dog paying attention and it would have failed miserably. So um, it ended up with a really happy client. And you just sometimes got to think outside the box. Yes, we want to work on leash. Yes, we want to work on sit. Yes, we want to work on recall. But if the dog's not paying attention, can't handle the impulse control of what we're trying to do and is way too you know, way too high an energy level, we got to start there, okay? So um, that was the client that I, I referred to as the Go Fetch client.
0: If you love the topics you've been listening to, remember, Mike has written tons of books on dog training and all are available on Amazon.com. Just search the name Mike Deeth D-E-A-T-H-E. They are available in audiobooks, ebooks, and in print. Keep It Simple Stupid Dog Training, KISS Dog Training for short, has been helping owners understand their dogs since 2010. We specialize in complex cases such as reactivity, aggression, anxiety, and And fear. We offer in home sessions in and around the Kansas City Metro and virtual consulting for those outside that area. We are the dog trainers that focus on training owners, not dogs, emphasizing rewarding what you want and redirecting destructive behaviors into good ones. You can call us at 913 269 7595 or email at info at kissdogtraining.com for more information and help. Mike's coming back now with more owner training. I I mean, more dog training tips. Here's Mike. The other client I want to talk about, we're going to call the
1: prong collar um, client. And anybody who knows me, I don't like choke chains, don't like prong collars, don't like shock collars, don't use them, won't use them, um, and I don't recommend them. This was an older client that had worked with a different trainer. The dog wore a prong collar. And every time I brought up the fact that she wanted, I wanted her to get away from it, she had learned that she needed it, it had become a crutch. And finally, I was just like, okay, you know what? Go ahead, use it, but here's how we're going to use it. And then I started teaching loose leash techniques, which is keep the leash loose. If the dog tightens up on the leash, they have to come back. And really, I just kind of bypassed the use of the prong collar as much as I possibly could. And over time, even though she was still using it, the leash was always loose. She didn't need the prong collar. And she eventually just kind of looked at me after about our fourth session and said, why am I even using this thing anymore? And I said, I don't know. Why are you? You don't need it. And at that point, she put a flat buckle collar on the dog. We went for a walk and everything was fine. Now, I could have been like some of my other um, compatriots in the dog training world that are positive reinforcement. And I could have fought the client and I could have demanded that she take that off the dog immediately. Maybe reprimanded her a little bit or you know, maybe done it even nicer and tried to educate her. But, you know, some people, the harder you try to change them, the harder they'll dig in and do. So I know some of my positive reinforcement, you know, um, colleagues would probably be mad at me for to say that I let a client use a prong collar. But it was in the scheme of things, it was easier for me to end around the client and have the client realize they didn't need the tool than for me to get nasty and say, I won't work with you if you're using this. Now, trust me, my website says I don't use them. It tells why I don't use them. Um, I've never been trained to use one. I don't want to use one. I don't think it's necessary. I've learned how to do it a different way. But with this client, I knew that if I pushed them too hard, they were just going to go to Google and pick the next trainer, And they'd already gone through several, okay? And you get too many cooks and too many ideas in the kitchen, and it's just, it's like trying to drink out of a fire hydrant and clients just tune out. So, um, even in a case like this, it's to think outside the box. And even though I don't like the technique and I don't want to use the tool, I was able to put my thoughts to the side and just work on teaching the client the right way to do it, no matter what the tool, just teaching her not to really use the tool. But if she felt like it was doing her, um, if it was helping her in some way, she could until she finally realized, you know, it's kind of pointless using this. We're not, it's not doing anything. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And let's put the regular collar on and see how it works. And to this day, she's still using the flat buckle collar. So when I say I don't throw rocks at ba- glass houses, it, it's really I will do my best to educate the client to think outside the box and to think about how to reward the behavior you want and reinforce it so that it increases in frequency and that we can replace bad behaviors with good behaviors. If we're going to be reactive and just wait for the dog to make mistakes and then try to correct it or punish it, all we're going to do is make training difficult for the owner and the dog. And let's face it, if it's difficult, nobody's going to want to practice. And if you don't practice, it's not going to. So the, the idea with this little podcast was to simply maybe get you guys to look at dog training from a little bit different perspective where you stop, you take a step back, really think about what you want and how to get there. Okay. If you've got questions, you can always get hold of us at Kiss Dog Training, uh, 913-269-7595, uh, uh, info at kissdogtraining.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, If you've got any questions or you've got even better ideas about topics you want us to cover on this blog um, and podcast, um, please let us know because, you know, the regular topics that we always, every dog trainer covers are great. But we really want to know what you want us to talk about here, at least on this podcast. Oh, and by the way, um, I, I got an email from... Uh, Sprout. apparently we hit 2,500 downloads um, I never expected that I think it's awesome and hopefully the folks out there are enjoying it if you are share it um, and help us get the idea out about positive scientific you know just reward-based training it's the easiest and funnest way to deal with your dog it's Mike with Kiss Dog Training we'll see you guys next time have a great day